everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a weekly true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Welcome back, listeners. Hey, guys. Happy Wednesday. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize from the jump um, for covering yet another Louisiana case. It's just who I am at this point, and I've learned to accept it. Right. And in case you guys haven't noticed, Amanda's going to be leading today. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And I do want to, like, disclose this, that, like, this was a pretty popular case around our area. So even when it happened, like, Mm -hmm. Ariel probably knows a good bit about it. Right. If you're from Louisiana, you know this case. Yeah. At least if you're old enough. Well, yeah. And if you're into true crime at all and you're from Louisiana, yeah definitely know this case right so so um today we're going to talk about actually two murders that happened in lafayette louisiana by the way i listened to a podcast the other day and they said lafayette oh jesus and i i cringed cringed. it's lafayette it's lafayette so yeah these two murders happened in the lafayette area and they took place over a decade apart but they were proven to be connected Hmm. That's like a huge cooling off period. This case was not fun for me. I'm just going to go say that. I was ripping my hair out. So I'm just going to dive right in. So Michaela, Mickey, known to her friends and family, Shunick, was the 21-year-old daughter of Nancy and Tom Shunick. I remember this case. I could just see her face. Like somebody says her name and Mm -hmm. I can see her face. And so she had a sister named Charlie and a brother named Zach. And she was an avid bicyclist, Mm -hmm. so she was very involved in the cycling community. She lived in Lafayette, as I previously mentioned, and she was a college senior at the University of Louisiana Lafayette, where she was studying anthropology. Oh, I didn't know that. She was our age. Oh. She was born in in 90. So, according to LouisianaTravel.com, Lafayette is at the heart of... Louisiana's Cajun and Creole country mm-hmm. and is known as the happiest city in America. Really? I don't know. Like, I tried to look up happiest city in America and I feel like every state has that. Yeah, so that's just what LouisianaTravel.com said. Um, it is also known for its cultural history, culinary scene, and Cajun and Zydeco music. Hmm. Um, in fact, Cajun dialect is still spoken there. And mm-hmm. if anyone from if anyone not from Louisiana expects us to speak a certain way, it's probably with the Cajun dialect, and I need, not everybody speaks that way. I, I need to record. <clears throat> I need to record my dad. Yeah. And play that on one episode just so y'all can see. Because it's thick. It's, yeah. He sounds like he's from that area. Yeah. He's not, but he he sounds very very Cajun. So, um, on the night of May eighteenth, twenty twelve, mm-hmm. which happened to be four days. Before her birthday. Oh, her birthday was in May, too? The 22nd. So oh, my God. So she's, like, literally weeks younger than me. Uh-huh. Two weeks younger than me. So she had plans with some friends to go out, and she didn't plan on staying out too late simply because her brother, Zach, was graduating from high school the next morning. No. Yeah. So it was a big day for the Shunick family. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, on May 19th, the Shunick family was scrambling to get ready, as you can imagine, um, for Zach's graduation. So it was probably pretty chaotic in their house that morning. Mm-hmm. And 
Nikki's family didn't realize that she wasn't home initially. So she was living at home while she yes. went to school. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when the Shunik family finally realizes that she wasn't home, they try to call her on her cell phone and it goes straight to voicemail. Oh no. Now, she was described as a pretty responsible person, so this was unlike her for her phone to just go to voicemail. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Zach's graduation is approaching, oh, so they have to head out to graduation. You know? That is... Oh. Can you imagine? That is heartbreaking. Because so you, you know your child. You know that's not like her. But you want to... But you have your other child That you're trying to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. So I can't even imagine the level of concern they must have had. Like, they probably didn't even really enjoy His Zach's graduation. Great. Due to them wondering where their daughter and sister was. Mm-hmm. So after graduation, they had straight home, hoping that she returned. Mm-hmm. And when they discovered that she didn't... They began calling any and everyone they could think of. The family called the police and they instruct the police instructed them to contact area hospitals just to make sure that she wasn't Yeah, to rule it out. So the family took their advice, called the hospitals, and unfortunately there was no one matching her description that had been admitted in that time frame. Mm -hmm. So the family began tracking her most likely route home. Mm-hmm. They checked ditches and bushes. Oh my god! And they even climbed fences, but to no avail. So, the Shunik family then calls the police again, and they beg them to find their daughter. And a search ensues. Um, I'm probably gonna butcher this detective's name, uh, Detective Stephen Bajat. I don't mm-hmm. know if that, that's probably so wrong. Um, he's assigned to her case, and it was determined that. The night that she went missing, she went out with a friend named Brettley Wilson, who was quickly labeled as a suspect or a person of interest. And right. so, and I think that's pretty normal. Like the last person you're with, is yeah. And they were really good friends, and it was a male female friendship. So that kind of I was going to ask if it was a male. It sounded like a male name, but I wasn't hundred yeah, percent so sure. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're just going to try and label, right. you know, some type of romantic involvement. So they obtained a timeline of events from him and the sheriff's department worked to corroborate his story. And according to Bretley, he and Mickey went to a bar for a little while. Then they went back to his own place. Um, they decided they want some food and they get in his car to get something to eat and then go back to his house. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming shortly after they ate is when Mickey got on her bike to go home. Mm-hmm. Do we know how far it was? It, it wasn't far. I think it was... Um, like from his house to hers. I want to say like a 20, 25 minute bicycle oh, okay. ride. It wasn't far. Like she did it all the time. Yeah. It was like in the heart of Lafayette. Like yeah. where the school is. Mm-hmm. The college. So unfortunately that would be the last time any of her family or friends saw her. Mm-hmm. And once they got... Bradley's story, there was no one to confirm his story. Right, because it was just the two of them. Right. And they can't find her. Right. So, authorities began piecing everything together and attempting to confirm um, his account. And so, of course, they, you know, they go through the, the motions. They send crime scene to his house or whatever. So, meanwhile, officers begin to check the area for video surveillance. And they do turn up fruitful at the bar that Mickey was at the night prior. Mm-hmm. So, the detectives were actually hoping to catch Brettley in a lie when viewing the surveillance footage, naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, After watching the camera footage from the bar, they realized nothing was alarming between the two. Mm -hmm. It just looked like two friends hanging out. And they really were just friends. And the detectives, like I said, were thinking that something was more like, 
Like, like they maybe, always do. Or even one-sided, like he was in love with her, right. you know, but, but that wasn't the case. So according to the surveillance, at 10.15, Mickey and Brettley arrive at the bar. Nothing appears out of the ordinary. They leave around 12.44 a.m. They get to Brettley's house, which this part isn't on camera. Right. So they get to Brettley's house. They go get food in his car. And they arrive at the Taco Bell drive-thru. And they use Mickey's debit card. Oh, okay. So they can track it that way. Well. Uh-oh. On the camera at the Taco Bell drive-thru, they can see his car and they can see him. But they're unable to make out who's in the passenger seat. Oh, okay. So... Mickey's card being used um, could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, you you could think, if he, in the realm of, oh, they're just friends, she was with him, they used her debit card. In the realm of or her being a victim, his he, victim. He's, he's the suspect, yes. and he killed her and, and went was, and used her yes. card. So, ooh, it's a, like a double-edged yes. sword. So they could see Bradley hand the food to someone in the passenger seat, but they couldn't see. They just mm. saw, like, hands, you know? And... Brightly then recounted that Mickey left before two. Mm-hmm. His house. that was part of his alibi. Or could they have? Off. Could they have talked to the person working the drive-through? I wonder. Because I mean, I've seen pictures. I know what Mickey looks like. She is very distinctive. Yes. You know, like I, I like you said. Any time anyone sees her name or says her name, I see her face. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they could have talked or figured out the person who was working that night. True. The drive. The thing about this. You and I, we went through the drive-thru last night to get daiquiris. <laughs> In order for you to see the person working the window, you kind of have to look oh, to, true, you know, like, true. I mean, that might... I guess depending on what kind of car it I is, I think he too. drove a Cavalier, a little Chevy Cavalier. Oh, so, yeah. I could be wrong. They're kind of low. So. Yeah. So, I don't think... See, and I drive a truck. So, yeah. if, I, if someone's with me mm-hmm. at a drive-thru in my truck, you're going to see my passenger. Right. But, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, if you're in a small car, you're, yeah. you might not necessarily see them. But yeah. anyway, continue. So, detectives received the surveillance footage from dozens of businesses in that area. Mm-hmm. And they finally got their first lead with footage from Mid-South Bank after five days into the investigation. Mm-hmm. After viewing the footage, they can see a bicyclist in the corner of the frame at 1.46 a.m. And he said it was around 2 a.m. He said before 2. Before 2. So, the video was a very, very blurry, but they believed it was a female. Mm-hmm. Um, Very blurry. Was it CCTV? No, I don't know what that means. I'm not CCTV. Yeah, closed caption television. It's it's the really crappy cameras that they have. Remember we talked about? It? I think in Derek Todd Lee and Jennifer Kessie. That I, I have not seen we, any surveillance camera that's actually worth. Right. Having. Like we we need better surveillance yeah. cameras. I will live I mean, and die it, on that hill. Like, yeah, right. We need better surveillance footage. Anyway, so after viewing, they could see the bicyclist in the corner of the frame. Um, the video was very blurry, mm-hmm. and the next camera they see the person again. The third camera they were able to identify blonde mm-hmm. hair. So detectives brought in the dad and the sister to try to confirm that it was her. And oh, that's got to be so rough. Her dad and I mean they were delighted. Like mm-hmm. you know, there that was her. You know, right. could you imagine the, yeah. the amount of hope that gave right. them? Um, so they did confirm that it was her because of her blonde hair, um, the flashing light on her bicycle, and um, then um, her sister also did say like you could tell her mannerisms. Like yeah, you know. You, I mean yeah, yeah you, you know. So this finding immediately ruled Brettley out as a person of interest or a suspect. Okay. Which I can't imagine. I don't know if that's felt. a good or a bad thing because like it's good for Brettley, but then for police like you're you have no idea what but, like he was the last person to see her alive and now he's being investigated yeah that's as a friend that's nauseating like as an innocent mm-hmm. friend you know 
that's that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So the next step was finding more cameras. And the Shunick family then predicted her route home after they saw her go through that uh-huh. camera so they could kind of play her next move. Um, she was then located on the footage passing the Circle K, mm-hmm. but she was still pretty blurry. The cameras were time-lapse, capturing one frame every second. Mm. So it's not as bad as the Jennifer Kesley case, but it still could be better. They're able to identify that it was her because of the flashing light again, and it showed her direction of travel, which led investigators to their next camera, or at least where to look. Well, because the family would know what what path she would take to get home. And that particular camera is going to be very, very important. The Circle K? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mickey's predicted route puts her passing the city hall, which has cameras. They locate her passing city hall, nothing alarming, and her direction of travel was still towards her home. And the next camera wouldn't be for 400 yards at a local law office. Um, with the surveillance they already had that plotted out a mile of her journey home. Wow. So their next camera after the law office wouldn't be for another quarter mile at the convention center. Like on campus? No, I don't think or, it's on campus. It, they, okay. They it's didn't, just, yeah. Okay. Um, the detectives expected her to ride through the camera at the convention center, and she never appeared. No. So that quarter mile of no cameras. Something happened to her. Which is near the intersection of Short Street and St. Landry Street, which a lot of the reports said, like, she went, um, she went, was last seen in this area of the St. Street. So I guess they had like a lot of St. Landry, probably St. John, uh, like a lot of, you know, probably like one New Orleans other. obviously is known for the saints. So like they always, right. everything's named after saints out here. Mm-hmm. So when she mm-hmm. never passes that camera, detectives begin to focus in on the vehicles that were passing through the cameras right. at that same time. Um, detectives noticed three vehicles in the area that um, of where she was last seen riding her bike and they were able to obtain license plates and track down the registered owners and or drivers Um, police spoke with yeah police spoke with two other drivers and the third was unaccounted for sketchy Um, a white pickup truck was seen four seconds after Mickey passed by the city hall and the detectives couldn't see the license let me guess this is the third person yes the unaccounted for yeah so, luckily, the local Chevy dealership helped police identify the year, make, and model of the vehicle oh, in wow. the video. Look, not all heroes wear capes, no. okay? So, it ended up, I didn't find the year, but it was a white Chevy um, Z71 pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the search for that truck began. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Mickey's friends and family kept her story relevant. Um, police located the pickup truck on camera, approaching the Circle K. Mm. But the cameras revealed that the lane that the driver was in meant he was planning to drive straight through the intersection. However, when authorities checked the Circle K footage, they didn't see him pass the Circle K. So y'all can't see me right here, but like here's the frame. They saw Mickey. The Circle K is right here. They see Mickey in the top corner, and they're expecting the truck to go this way. But he never passed. He never did. So. So what happened? The footage showed in the corner of the frame that the driver changed his mind and made a sudden right turn. Mm. That was the exact moment Mickey passed by and she turned in that frame. Like that's... That direction. So the Circle K I assume was on the corner. Mm-hmm. So he was supposed to go this way and and she was going this way so he oh, like... Oh, gotcha. He whipped it. Okay. 
Yeah. Like, in her direction, it looked like, to follow her. Yes. Okay. Um, so, they then rewatched the other videos where Mickey was located on her at home and noticed that the white truck was in front of her. So, so like, he didn't want to look like he was following her, right. but he, he was still, like, probably watching her in his side view mm-hmm. or rear view. What a creep. So well, he, she, we don't know. They. They. <laughs> Detectives believe once he passed her up, he found a dark area to park in, which was most likely in that quarter mile of her route that didn't have any cameras. I wonder if, if this he, person was familiar with where cameras were. I don't know. It was, I feel like in 2012, cameras were, like, really getting popular. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, there's cameras everywhere. Yeah, now but. there's no question. So, 30 miles away near the Whiskey Bay area. In Baton Rouge, right? That's Baton Rouge? I think or it's near Atchafalaya Basin. Like, oh, so between Lafayette and Baton, Baton Rouge. Rouge. Okay. I think it's uh, Iberville Parish, which... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, two fishermen locate a bicycle that turned out to be Mickey's. Mm. I want to note right here that the two gentlemen who located her bike almost used it for scrap metal. Wow. But they then realized it could possibly be related to the missing case that was everywhere and you couldn't watch it without hearing them say she was last seen on her bicycle this is like mm-hmm. i think they even showed a picture she had a tattoo of a bicycle yeah, on like her ankle she, um well thank god those people watched the news yeah um so once they realized it could be hers they mm-hmm. notified the authorities um police notified the family so they could come in and identify the bike which happened to be visibly damaged mm-hmm. The family confirmed that it was her bike, and even though they, like, found the bike, the family was still extremely hopeful that they were going to find their daughter yeah. and sister alive. The detectives were not. Mm-hmm. And anybody that knows, or that's from South Louisiana knows that Whiskey Bay is considered a dumping ground for it things is. of this nature. Um, Derek Tully dumped at least two victims there. Um, Eugenie Boisfontaine from Iver- That's where uh, she was found, too? Um, no, I think in that case, no, I don't think they ever, did they ever find, no. They found her body. It just, I don't think it was in Whiskey Bay though. No, but they had other cases, um, the Killing Fields. Yeah. They, I mean, Killing Fields was based out of Iberville Parish, so that was kind of like their yeah. go-to. Um, so the crime scene inspected the bike and it was discovered that there was damage to the rear as if it were <gasps> struck from behind. Oh, goodness. And, um... The damage lined up with a factory bumper of the previously described vehicle. So the Chevy. Mm Mm-hmm. Authorities sent the dive team to look for her in Whiskey Bay, but she was not found. Mm. Um, But they get another lead here soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Authorities in Texas notify the Lafayette Police Department about locating um, an abandoned-slash-burned white pickup truck. Which still had its license plate displayed on it. Criminals are stupid. If you're going to burn your vehicle that you use to commit a crime, at least take the license plate off Throw of it. Throw that in Whiskey Bay. I mean, come on. I mean, scrub the VIN number off of it. Like, scrape yeah. it. I'm sorry. Don't. If y'all commit a murder, do not do all these things and say <laughs> that the Homicide Homegirls <laughs> podcast told you that you should do these things. So, detectives plugged the license plate into the LPR license plate recognition system which showed the vehicle in the area at the time of when Mickey disappeared, hmm. but they were unable to see the driver. Hmm. But one key piece of evidence confirmed that 
it was their vehicle because the content in the bed of the truck that that was in the license plate cameras were the same contents in the bed of the truck the night they saw the cameras in the St. Streets. Oh, wow. Uh, so they saw the truck in the, on the cameras in the St. Streets. Wow. So, so I think he had like a styrofoam ice chest and like a two by four, like clearly sticking, like it didn't yeah. fit in the bed of the truck. It was sticking out. So like, again, <sighs> stupid. Yeah. So the registered owner of the pickup truck was a registered sex offender known as Brandon Scott Laverne. What? The day after Mickey's disappearance, he checked himself into a New Orleans area hospital for stab wounds. New Orleans? Two out, about two hours away. Lafayette and New Orleans about yeah. two hours away. Brandon Laverne was claiming that he was robbed at a gas station. Lies. So in 2000, Brandon Laverne was convicted of aggravated oral sexual battery. So this was 12 years prior so right. we're just setting up his history. Yes. Okay, just well, making sure. Because we, we discovered that the registered owner was a registered sex offender. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And he was sentenced to 10 years. Hmm. He was released on those charges in 2008, so served eight years. But he remained on probation until 2010. Is that typical? Like, you remain on probation until your original sentence would have ended? Or is it, like, I, I a certain amount of time once you get released? I feel like that's kind of... Like, he should have... Because of the, the nature of his crime, aggravated oral sexual battery. Is that? Which, I, that, that statute may have been revised because when I worked for the sheriff's department, I was like, what the heck is aggravated mm-hmm. oral sexual battery? Like, does it mean a weapon was used? Because usually aggravated does so, indicate. I mean, did he force someone to give him oral that's sex what I don't at gunpoint at knife point? I, that's what I don't know. Oh, okay. um, but okay. it one That's what only, it sounds yeah, like to me. Right. Um. So with everything detectives had on him, they were able to obtain an arrest warrant for first-degree murder. Oh, wow. And this is when the family lost hope. Naturally. Wait, so they got an arrest warrant for first-degree murder before they even found her? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. And this was how quickly? Um, After? I'm Do not, you know? I'm not really sure because... So she went missing in May and they didn't find her till August. So, um, at some point in that, but that's still a quick, yeah, quick time. And they only, time frame. I'll get on that, I'll get okay, to that in sorry. a second. Um, I'm pulling a you, yes, naturally. So, in his interview, police asked Brandon Laverne if he was nervous, to which he replies, No, okay, but a normal person would be nervous. Eh. I mean, even if I didn't do anything, oh, I would be in the police office, like, thinking about every single thing that I have ever done or said in my life. Like, <laughs> what got me here? Why am I here? Yeah. Like, a normal person mm-hmm. would be nervous. You know who's not nervous? A psychopath. <laughs> so, investigators then tell him that he needs to be. Like, hmm. yeah. So, he asks for an attorney. Um, they come to an agreement, and authorities ask the family, the Shunick family, to, to plead bargain with them. Mm. And if the family agreed to have the death penalty removed from the table, he would tell them where her body was. Oh, wow. And, of course, his parents, they agreed. Like, yes, we'll give, you know, right. give us our daughter Bring back. Her home. Um, oh, God, but that's just terrible. Making a deal with the devil, you know? Basically. So, Brandon Laverne buried Mickey Shunick in an old cemetery. 
but wow. He admitted that he didn't bury her too deep because of the injuries he obtained the night that he killed her. Mm-hmm. And as part of the plea deal, he had to tell authorities what happened the night she was killed. So he had to give them his account of what happened. Yes, which and her body. I find a lot of times people don't conf- like who was the who was the case we covered. Um, one of them was like it was one of the, our more recent ones. Like we were like you're so selfishly holding on to what happened, but you KK's corner. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's when we were like you should have given them like given up everybody else that was involved. Right, right, right. Before you got a plea bargain. Yeah. Right. So, um, Brandon Laverne states that he was driving down St. Landry Street and he saw Mickey Shunick in the middle of the road and intentionally struck her with his vehicle. Just because? Well, I mean, he's a freaking monster. Uh, clearly, but... So, detectives believe she was unconscious after mm-hmm. he hit her and she was then put into his vehicle by him and then she, at some point she came to and... She then, she carried pepper spray with her, mm-hmm. so she sprayed him with pepper spray. Yes. And so, like, he... In his truck? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, inside of his truck. Yeah. So, apparently, he, he had a knife in his hand or something, and, like, he was trying to, like, rub the the, the pepper out spray of his, out of his eyes, which makes it worse. Um, so, she was able to get the knife, get the knife from oh, him. Oh, wow. Um, Mickey took it and began to stab him with it. So she Yes, she, and he, he wrestled the knife back from her, and then he stabbed her several times in the chest, Mm. and then, like, he thought she was dead, so he drove to a field, I read it was a sugarcane field, like, a, like, out of the way, Mm -hmm. and then when he stopped the truck, she, like, came to again, like, she jumped up, and she was able to get the knife back from him and stabbed him in the chest. It, if y'all, my eyes are about to pop out of my head. Like, oh my goodness, the strength of this girl. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness. Um, she tried to escape, but he grabbed his gun and shot her in the head. What? Yeah. It, it, very, very violent at the hands of this no, man. Like, no, no joke. Like, oh my. Yeah. <sighs> he eventually drove her body to an old cemetery in Evangeline Parish. Mm-hmm. Which, according to Google Maps, is only a little over an hour north of Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Um, he, had t- like I said previously, he attempted to bury her, but was unsuccessful due to the extent of the injuries that she gave him. Well, yeah, she stabbed him multiple yeah. times in the chest. Good for her. So I'm gonna, we need to write this down, but I need to post the pictures of his injuries because. Oh, okay. You I, found this? I didn't see the chest wound. I saw some like in the shoulder area. Oh, okay. So he covered. He just covered her body with some trees and debris. And after that, he drove to a friend's house in New Orleans, which is where he ultimately disposed of the gun and the knife used to injure and kill Mickey Shunick. Mm-hmm. He drove back to where he dumped after he was like released from the hospital, forever and um, treated. Yes. So did no one in the hospital like question? I mean, I know he said he was robbed at a gas station, but like you can't check police reports. And look at, well, or I guess maybe this is their responsibility. So, so um, let me tell you how protocol works. If somebody shows up at the hospital with suspicious injuries, injuries they're supposed to report it? They do. Oh. Detectives did respond, but uh. he couldn't remember where it happened. So, like, he was playing victim yeah. and couldn't recount where he was because he obviously wasn't from that area. Right. So, 
in the chances a monster, are, you know. And, but in the chances are, in New Orleans, there was even if they checked reports, there was probably a murder—not uh, a murder, probably a robbery in the area. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess, yeah, I guess if they did their due dil- due diligence, I mean, he's lying. I mean, he's being deceptive. I mean, you can't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So after he was discharged, he drove back to where he dumped Mickey's body on May twentieth. Which is when he actually buried her. Like, he, I mean, he was still injured, but, like, he was treated, and he was able to... uh, And it was apparently, like, a really shallow grave. Um, He then went home, buried her bag and her iPod. I mean, not buried it, I'm sorry. Burned her bag and her iPod. Like, the belongings that she had. After the investigation ensued and police released the video of of the truck... Which is his truck. His truck. He drove to Texas, set his vehicle on fire, and when he returned to Louisiana, he bought a truck almost identical to the one he just burned. Again, stupid. Psychopath. Stupid. During the the course of the investigation in Mickey's death, um, Brandon Scott Laverne also pled guilty to the murder. What? Of Lisa Ann Pate. What? A 35-year-old mother of three who went missing from Youngsville, Louisiana, in June of 1999. 1999. So you remember how I told you in the beginning it was two murders over a decade apart that were somehow connected? I forgot that there was another one. Yeah. I was so into Mickey's story. (sighs) Yeah. So he just came out and... I don't... I could not find, for the love of anything, I could not find how... How they pinned it. How him, they got or, him to confess. Yeah. But the he only did. thing I could find is that it was during, like, he, there was no trial because he took a plea. Yeah. But, like, during that whole interrogation is when, is when it, it, it surfaced. Okay. Um, according to DailyMail.com, Brandon Laverne met Lisa Pate in the Lafayette area and he persuaded to go out of town with him. I don't know if it was oh, like he a, persuaded her to go out of town. With it him. wasn't like a I don't think it was like a weekend thing. I was kinda like a let's go hang out at this place yeah. or I don't like when I first read I was like, what? You just met this guy, you're going out of town with him? But I don't yeah. think it was like a you, a weekend you ne- stay, you, you know? Never go to a secondary location. No. And according to Cajunradio.com, Lisa was forced to quote Engage in non-consensual acts and or inflicted physical injury and or sexual abuse upon Lisa Pate, end quote. Which, that statement didn't make sense because it said Lisa Force, but that was a direct quote. So She was forced to, so basically... Like he, he forced her... Yeah, basically he like raped her, I yeah. guess. Um, end quote. Yeah. Um, Brandon killed her on or around July 3rd, 1999. Hmm. So she went missing, I guess, at the end of June. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was a weekend's day. Um, After she told him she wanted to leave. because I mean, I'm sure she didn't want to participate. I mean, it said non-consensual. So so she probably was like, okay, I'm going to get that hell out of here. Right. Um, So they believe she was killed by Brandon placing a plastic bag over her head, which goes back to me previously saying, like, he's very violent. Mm -hmm. Like... That's so personal, like, and you have to be in someone's face. Yes, exactly. To hold it, and uh, uh, same thing with stabbing. But like, why a do gun I... is not like it's a personal crime. But it, but to you stab can... someone, you have to be in their yes. personal space. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why I know this, but I want to say to actually suffocate someone or strangle someone or suffocate Asphy- someone, asphy- asphy- asphyxiate yeah. someone. 
it's like between two and four minutes, I think, okay. for them to actually die, die from lack of oxygen. Yeah. I don't know why I know that. Hopefully, that doesn't land me on some list. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like that's very, very personal to be able to do that and look them in the face for four minutes, two yeah. to four minutes. Yeah. You know, but. He's a freaking psychopath, so he probably enjoyed that, and he probably like enjoyed the, watching the light and, drain and from that their eyes. And right, because there are people, because there are people like that that enjoy that. And this goes back to his sexual, um, right? His sexual assault crime. You know, and that's another thing. He was in jail for eight years in the interim, like in between these two. So who knows how many other women he would have murdered mm-hmm. had he not been in jail? Right. That is terrifying. Or how many women he would have gone on to murder had he not been picked up for Mickey's murder. Yep. That is terrifying. Yeah. So once Brandon killed Lisa, it is said that he moved all evidence, including the body, quote, with the intent to distort the results of the criminal investigation, end quote. Hmm. So in September of 1999, Lisa's body was discovered in Acadia Parish which is in the same area, pretty, mm-hmm. it's like a neighboring, under three large boards in a grassy area. Mm. She was actually found in Church Point, which is where Brandon was originally from oh and was goodness. residing at the time. Oh. So in Lisa, she was only identified by her dental records by oh. LSU anthropologists. Which well, yeah, she'd been, I mean, July, to September. July, August, and September are three of like the hottest months yeah. in South Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So... I can understand why they were only able to identify her by her dental records because she was probably so badly decomposed mm-hmm. at that point. And I want to make the connection here. LSU anthropologist uh, identified her via dental records and Mickey was studying anthropology. At UL. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat, I guess. Um, so, now we're going to talk about his incarceration. Brandon Scalavern is currently incarcerated at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. A lot of the people we talk about People like him deserve to be under Angola. True. (laughs) So he's serving out his sentence of two... He's serving out two life sentences at hard labor without the possibility of probation, parole, or suspension of sentence. Good. That's where he belongs. And as of June 2019, he's in solitary confinement, according to the Acadiana Advocate. Did they say why? Did he get in trouble? We'll get there. Oh. God, I hate when you do that. I know. Now I see how you feel when I do that to you. So, first of all, this case, I hated it because I'm a chronological person. Mm-hmm. And in and order couldn't. to, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do right. it. I wanted to. So, I'm, I feel like this is all over the place. So It's fine. So, Laverne filed an appeal. Your favorite word. Yeah, but this, this one's okay. Um, Laverne filed an appeal claiming he received inadequate legal representation from the public defender who didn't object and encouraged him to accept a plea deal, according to a statement from U.S. Circuit Judge Stuart Duncan. Okay, what? Yeah. They encourage you to accept a plea deal. So if you they, don't die. If the I evidence, mean, they got death penalty off the table. I you mean, should be, you know what I'm and saying? And if they can see, the, the defense lawyer is, you know, they have access to the discovery, so they know all the evidence that's against you. So if the evidence against you is overwhelming, yeah, they're going to. Yeah. I mean, he saved your life. Don't you, be a trash bag human being right um 
So however, in order for him to obtain a certificate of appealability, the judge wrote, quote, Laverne has to show he was denied a constitutional right, which he did not, end quote. So his appeal request was denied. Good. Amanda's smiling I'm as glowing she glowing right now. <laughs> now we're going to talk about his behavior while he was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So according to KATC.com, in October of 2018, Brandon Scott Laverne attempted a prison escape and was placed what? on lockdown. Wait, that was like a year ago. A year. Mm-hmm. He attempted to make a run for it around 4.30 a.m., but it was reported that he didn't make it far. Yeah. I think I talked about this in the Derek Tadley episode, but supposedly that Blake Shelton song, Old Red, about uh-uh. the dog. Oh, yeah. Did I talk about this in Derek Tadley? I don't think so. I wanted to. Anyway, apparently that song, Old Red about the dog that tracks down, is it's based on a dog, at Ang- like dogs Angola. at Angola. What? Yeah, so you're not outrunning them, <laughs> boo. According to state correction spokesperson Ken Pastrick, quote, DOC personnel quickly thwarted the escape attempt without incident, end quote. Thwarted. Thwarted. That's such a I good love that word. word. <laughs> KATC was able to obtain Laverne's discipline records from Angola, wow. which showed that wasn't his first discipline record. Hmm. KATC also reports, quote, He's accused of repeatedly trying to contact three different families, <gasps> including at least one of the victim's families, uh, family members, after being told not to. What? After being warned, he repeatedly, I'm sorry, he reportedly tried to go around the system and sent letters to his own family members to give to the people he wasn't supposed to contact. One time, he sent a letter and signed a fake offender's name on the envelope, end quote. What? A psychopath. So what, you're in jail for murdering these people's family members and you're just trying to contact Reach them, them and what, make it what worse? Is you, like, what, what is, is your motivation what, yeah. here? Why? What are you expecting out of right. this? So KATC also reported that in August of 2018, Laverne was moved to a different camp at Angola after prison guards found a cell phone hidden in a book with pages cut out. Wait, so that's real? People do that? <laughs> I thought that was just in the movie. I don't know. And oh, in goodness. December of 2012, he was relocated to Camp J. Which December is a, of 2012 or 2018? Yeah, 2012. Wait, like, I thought like, all this was 18. No, this is a different incident. Oh. So he was relocated to Camp J, which is another solitary confinement camp for having a makeshift key from a battery. I don't know what the key was for. His cell? I, I, Maybe? I don't know. Okay. Sorry, I was just confused because... Anyway... So, other interesting facts um, hmm. surrounding this piece of garbage. Um, according to Scott Laverne. <laughs> yes, that's who I'm talking about. According to WDSU News, the driver's license of a missing Texas woman was found inside Brandon Laverne's home. That's not sketchy. On July 5th, 2012, a search of his home was conducted relative to the Mickey mm-hmm. Shunick investigation, and that's when authorities discovered the wallet and driver's license of Madeline Allmiller. Mm-hmm. Madeline's brother told investigators that he hadn't heard from her after he asked her to move out, quote, due to many problems he could not deal with, end quote. Hmm. And Madeline's bank account had been untouched since that April. Hmm. Wait, when did she go missing? Do you know? No, but no. that April would have been a month prior to Mickey Shunick's disappearance. But she went missing in April 2012? 
Yes. That year? So, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So they searched his home in July of 2012 and found the license. Oh, okay. Mickey went missing in May. Gotcha. This lady's bank account was untouched since April. Of 12. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I read that she was in her 50s at the time that she was last seen, which... Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have a pattern. I don't know about his sexual assault victim. Mickey was 21, almost 22. Lisa Pate was 35, 35. Mm-hmm. but that was 13 years prior. So he was how, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no pattern. Like, mm-hmm. he's just a monster. And it's also unclear if she was ever reported as a missing person. Hmm. Um, it didn't seem that she was, according to some forum that I read about, like, from her brother and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it said, like, she's still not... A missing person and I'm like obviously she's well why would you not report her missing even after her license being found I don't know That's her license I mean. and her bank account being in touch like right hmm. but like, I know. don't know like the brother said there was many problems he couldn't deal with I don't know what, what those were yeah mm-hmm. so that might be a factor yeah so I want to finish this um this episode with a quote by Mary Oliver that the Shunik family posted on their website, MickeyShunik.com. Quote, Let grief be your sister. She will, whether or no, rise up from the stump of sorrow and be green also, like the diligent leaves. A lifetime isn't long enough for the beauty of this world and the responsibilities of your life. Scatter your flowers over the graves and walk away. Be good-natured and untidy in your exuberance. In the glare of your mind, be modest and beholden to what is tactile and thrilling, end quote. Mm. I know. Don't they do, like, bike rides in her memory? I'm not sure. I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I think they do. And isn't there a statue? A uh, bike statue somewhere? So, I know Uh, in, like, parts of Jefferson and New Orleans, they do this thing. And I'm not, I haven't looked into it, but I've always been curious. And somebody's told me before, like... If there's a bike in the median, it means, like, somebody was struck right there and they died from, like, a bicyclist. Uh-huh. So, I don't know if that's kind of the thing. Or, um, I know that, that uh, there is a Facebook page. It uh-huh. was titled Fine Mickey Shooting yeah. in all caps. I don't know if it's still the same shooting. Yeah. Um, I want to say, maybe in Lafayette, on UL's campus somewhere, there's, like, a okay. a bike. Right. In she, memory she was, of her. Oh, she was probably... She was... Uh, no, she, she probably was a senior. Yeah, but was she gonna graduate that month? I don't think so because usually college graduation is like are early. the twelfth ish. Yeah, yeah. So maybe no, she was maybe in go- that December. Yeah. That's so so sad. in in conclusion, I kind of like relate him to like a modern day Ted Bundy. Hmm. Yeah. He he, he oh. wasn't a bad looking guy. Well, and and like I said. He was in jail for that eight-year period. How many women would he have killed had he not been in jail? And, again, how many women would he have gone on to kill had he not been arrested for, you know, Mickey's murder? And how many more women has he potentially Mm -hmm. killed that he just hasn't, you know, copped to, that he hasn't admitted to? Right. That's that's a very good possibility. And, uh, like, with the Ted Bunny thing, like, the prison escape, like... Right, right. I, don't I mean, know. he seems to be pretty intelligent. But dumb at the same but time. But dumb at the same time. Right? You know how that goes. Right. I don't know. So. I think um, he's where he deserves, deserves to, be. to be. He will die at Angola, and he will have one of those unmarked graves with a cross. That's how they're... It's crosses. Really? Yeah, I'll have to... Maybe we'll post a picture. I'm pretty sure it's, like, just a bunch of graves, and I don't think they have names on them. I think it's just white crosses. Wow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
So hopefully I'm not wrong. But yeah, I think uh, that, I think that came up when I was researching Derek Todley. Okay. So yeah, so. that's where we are. Um, uh, Mickey Michaela's family got closure, and so did Lisa's. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Madeline All Miller, I yeah. I don't know if her family is is concerned. concerned right. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one monster. Right. Uh, taking justice. Hmm. Right. That's the case of the murders of Michaela, Mickey, Shunick, and Lisa Pate. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomeGirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions.